Friday morning, Bankless Nation. David, what time is it? It is a Friday morning, weekly roll of time where we take a whole entire week in the crypto cycle and put it right into your brain as fast and densely as possible, which is an ambitious endeavor in this industry, yet we try to do it every single week and we have fun doing it left and right. Markets, releases, news, takes. We end with what we're excited about. No, we don't. We end with the meme of the week, of course, every single week. So stay tuned for that. Wow, a lot going in, uh, going on in the Bankless Nation, as always. A lot going in crypto. This is the last week of May. We are excited to get you downloaded. David, you ready to get started? Let's do it, Ryan. All right, man. We got to start with the market. The markets have been crazy these mm -hmm. days, David. Mm -hmm. Absolutely insane crazy. Uh, last week, around this time-ish, did it feel like a bear market? To some people, it felt like a bear market suddenly. People Are we out spooked. of the bear market? People got spooked last week. People got real spooked. Um, like, on Twitter last weekend, mm -hmm. David, um, a lot of anger, I would say, hmm. even, about this market. Like, the sudden drop. Uh, anyway, we'll get into that. Let's start with Bitcoin. What happened? Yeah, from the start of this week at its lowest low, Bitcoin touched right below $32,500 and is currently trading just above $40,000. People uh, seem to be kind of comfy with Bitcoin being at $40,000. People, I think, are uh, sighing a breath, a breath of uh, relief. Um, but when Bitcoin got below $33,000, people were freaking out. Um, and there's a bunch of news to go along with this, which we will be getting into. Uh, but people are starting to get bullish and, you know, not let's not say too bullish, but people are starting to, to I think, believe that, oh, yeah, this this bull market is not over. This is not the start of a bear market. Uh, and so there we are. Uh, Bitcoin trading right above $40,000. Uh, if it can hold the $40,000 level, I think that's going to instill a lot of confidence in the people that got spooked last week. And yet some people are still saying this is a dead cat bounce. Of course, we don't know for sure until mm -hmm. the market plays out. But tell us what's going on in uh, Ether price. Yeah, Ether got fucking wrecked coming down from $43,000, uh, $4,300 at the top all the way down to $1,733, which is a big drop off the top over the 11 days between $4,300 and the bottom at $1,733. Now trading at $2,810, so a huge rebound, over $1,000 off of the bottom. Just the fact that Ether is moving in $1,000 increments is absolutely insane. Um, and I would say, and Ether has it has a bigger bounce off the bottom than Bitcoin did. Uh, we'll get into looking at the ratio in a second, but uh, the, the bounce off the bottom was definitely in Ether's favor, which is pretty interesting. I got to say, on Sunday, people were freaking out, David, yeah. at mm -hmm. these these prices. Like, Ether price went 66%. It was 66% mm -hmm. off all-time highs. Bitcoin was over 50%, something like this. Like, it's not one of the biggest amounts. drops in crypto history. And like, if and you people, think that this is normal, this is not normal. This is a huge drop. It is a huge drop, but, but also uh, not unprecedented, at least on Ether's side. And again, mm -hmm. last week we talked about you know 2017, right? Mm -hmm. So this drop from 420 all the way to like the 130s or so. Mm -hmm. Again, this kind of feels like that. And it's even right. fitting the, uh, the, the rhythm of that where there was a strong recovery, not back all the way to all-time highs, but mm -hmm. a fairly quick recovery from those 130s lows. Of course, some people are still thinking this is like, dead cat bounce mm -hmm. and you know we're gonna go lower still that might play out that might be the case what's I your take on this i mean 
it would it would be just what would seem to be a really premature end to this bull market. But again, you're you're the listeners listening to two like you, you, critics would call it. I don't per, trade perma bulls. <laughs> critics would call, we're always bullish, uh, but to some degree, there's always so many fundamentals, right? And and this is going to be a theme for the rest of this market section. But like, there's still so much energy left in this in this allocate reallocation towards crypto Dude, assets. This is why this is why some people were um, some people were angry about mm -hmm. this move on. Um, on Twitter, because on Sunday, I, I said something to the, here's what I said. I said, some of you f seem to feel entitled to crypto gains every week of the year. That's not how this works. And I wasn't trying, David, to downplay anyone's stress or suffering with a 66% like loss and drop. Mm -hmm. um, that is a big deal, right? But like the reality is also, David, we just moved to prices of like 45 days earlier, right? So if you mm -hmm. bought more than 45 days ago, you were doing okay. And if you want to take the like 10x gains, you have to be comfortable with days or weeks where you, you know, you're getting these kinds of dips, 66% right. dips or more. It just goes with the territory. So at some level, like if you're a unicycler, this is your first uh, bull market, you're not used to these things, but also get used to them, mm -hmm. right? Like the market doesn't owe us anything. We're all along for the ride. This is what volatility looks like. This is what you signed up for when you bought even good blue chip crypto assets like Bitcoin and Ether. This is what happens. Mm -hmm. Like it's a commitment to like, this is world changing technology. It will absolutely change every single paradigm that we know and love. And that's why we're all super bullish on it. That's why we, there's a thousand X over the next like X number of years. And you're getting 60% drops every now and then. Like you don't get 1,000x upsides without like, you know, huge, massive pull downs. Like you're going to yeah. have to take, you, 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 you just got to take it. You just got to take we're it. Also, David, we're going to have a bear market someday too. Sure. And I want these folks to be ready for that, sure. right? Like we're right. just not going to go on a straight march to like, you know, a million dollar Bitcoin and like 100K ETH. Like there's going to be some... Uh, S s some bumps in the road as well. Anyway, people have to get used to this. But let's talk about this, David. But no, before we move on, Ether yeah. went from seven hundred and thirty dollars at the end of January, almost almost straight up, up to four thousand dollars at the end of May. And so, like people, I think people got really spoiled be, be behind just num spoiled. number go up. It's like, oh yeah it, yeah, it literally was up and to the right with very minimal dips and everyone's like, oh, making money left and right. And then all of a sudden we dump 60%. If you are making money left and right for months and months and months, dips, dips, a dip's coming. Like it doesn't work like yeah. that. <laughs> like That's you're gonna, you're gonna get punched in the face. Yeah, just being real, of course. Mm -hmm. And you gotta be in this game for the long term, mm -hmm. uh, for the long run. That's what, uh, that's what we're about. That's what the bankless journey is all about. So anyway, guys, I, I know it's painful um you know we'll get through it just uh zoom out expand your time horizon and um don't panic sell right. like don't give into those don't give into those uh, immediate reactions no emotions. euphoria without pain all right david let's go to the eth bitcoin ratio this is doing some stuff what's it doing Definitely doing, definitely doing some stuff. That's for sure. Uh, there was, was <laughs> some commentary about how well the ETH BTC ratio was holding up while BTC kind of led this downtrend. BTC started to to dump off and like uh, you know trade off, sell off sooner than everything else, and ETH BTC held up. Uh, and then the rest of the market started Wrecked. to sell off too. And then it, and then it went from its high of 0 0.08, which is really high in ETH BTC terms, all the way down to 0 0.057, which in the grand scheme of things, still pretty high, and it's still pretty high. And but you know, ETH BTC does sell off when the market sells off. So ETH, you know, if Ether, uh, if Bitcoin sneezes, you know, Ether Ether is sick in bed. 
I would say overall, though, it didn't really nuke as we have seen it before, and it recovered pretty pretty strongly. And so that we hit the high earlier while we were super bullish, while everyone was talking about the flipping and flipping was in. Uh, it was at 0.08. Now we're at 0.07. Um, so I would say really strong recovery by the ETH BTC ratio. Still feels like bull market stuff. I don't think, mm. the, I don't know. You never know. Could be a dead cat, but still feels like bull market stuff. Lots, That's lots all. of people saying dead cats, but uh, yeah. between you and me, Ryan, it's just you. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Is it really? Yeah. I'm the only guy. Okay. All right. Ryan Watkins, mm -hmm. uh, ETH volumes have been exploding recently and wow. surpassed Bitcoin volumes. This might be some of the reason for that healthy uh, ETH to Bitcoin ratio here. So this is actually spot volumes on centralized exchanges. And Bitcoin has always led from a volume perspective. Now ETH is taking the lead. That's something new we we, we haven't seen mm -hmm. in the past. I'm not sure if we've ever seen this, David. Right. Um, what does that tell us? Yeah, this is a big narrative shift for, for Bitcoin, right? Because Bitcoin talks about itself as one of the world's most liquid assets, right? You can make Bitcoin buy, large Bitcoin buys and sells from anywhere in the world, anywhere in the time. And one of the reasons why that's true is because the Bitcoin volume is insane. It's always been the largest in crypto. Ether has been taking the lead since I would say the last two weeks, I think is where I'm looking at on this chart where Ether has had surpassed Bitcoin in trading volumes. Uh, that doesn't necessarily mean that Ether is more liquid, but it definitely over the long term, if trading volumes are higher, then overall liquidity follows that. Uh, and so this is what it takes to, to become a money is significant liquidity globally. Uh, and that's what we're seeing out of Ether in the last two weeks. It's also interesting, maybe starting to position Ether as a reserve currency for crypto, which Bitcoin has still been king of. We, mm -hmm. You could argue that ETH was the reserve asset of DeFi, but mm -hmm. Bitcoin has still led all right. of crypto. Maybe that's right. changing mm -hmm. as well. Um, yeah, you have to wonder about the how, how this how this shakes out in the future. And this Let's is what DeFi. the flipping looks like, by the way. The flipping <laughs> is is one big flipping, which is represented by like a thousand little flippings, and this is one of them. Yeah, agreed. That's an important one. Um, Okay, let's let's talk about DeFi for a minute. Mm -hmm. So the first is total locked value down and then up as the market went down and then back up. We are sitting at mm -hmm. 65 billion total value locked in DeFi protocols at this moment. What does this mean? Uh, I mean, it basically looks like the Ether price chart, which makes sense because <laughs> everything is super correlated right now. More ETH. Uh, ETH just keeps going down though in DeFi. I wonder if that's going to be a uh, a long term trend that that plays out here. And cycle uh, up to oh, all. only, Still only okay. in the short term. Only in the short term. Yeah, we'll see how that short, plays short term out. noise. Okay, DeFi tokens. We measure that by the DPI, which is many of the top most blue chip mm -hmm. uh, DeFi tokens out there. How's that? How's that held up? I'm going to scroll to the uh, the weekly here. Except for that one brief moment in time Sunday night where like DeFi tokens got like cut by 60%. They've rebounded pretty well and they were doing pretty well, like kind of resisting the, the Bitcoin sell-off pretty well and the Ether sell-off. Uh, and then the market just took everything for a ride, um, you know, um, Friday through Sunday. Uh, but rebounded down up to $420. Relatively, again, still relatively flat over let's see the the one month period i would say uh down down a little bit how about the three month period ryan yeah flat over three months uh in the grand scheme of things but if uh you know coming off of what was a pretty strong high at just like above six hundred dollars yeah year to date we're still definitely up 421 mm -hmm. year to date that's up almost like a, a three or four x 
So not doing too bad on the year. What about the DPI to ETH ratio? That's oh, an important one. God, here we are. And I haven't actually seen this chart since the last time we, we talked about it. But I called the bottom at ETH DPI at 0.13. It's holding, barely. And it's barely holding on. It barely <laughs> held on. But the bottom is still in on ETH DPI. Uh, and so yeah, I almost I almost didn't call it. I almost got uh, became wrong. But so far, we'll, still see. Right. we'll see. We'll see. There's still some more weeks left in the year. Yeah, yeah, I wonder what happens if we enter sort of another uh, DeFi summer type Mm -hmm. period. But like Mm -hmm. we we certainly haven't yet. Um, ETH has been performing very well. DeFi tokens have yet to follow. We'll see what happens in the future. Mm -hmm. Um, All right, let's jump to Raul Paul. This is a really interesting take. Uh, You lead with this take, David, and I'll throw some comments in. Yeah, I think we should put put the uh, the frame of mind of 2008 into the the listener as we read this thread. So 2008 was cascading liquidations that like set up the set off the global financial system to the point of just like we need the world's largest institutions to take action or else the world is going to explode. That was what bail out the bankers bail out the bankers, print money, like fix it, fix it, fix it. Like things are broken, things are things are dried up. Uh, so let's let's use that for context. Granted. DeFi is not the world's world's largest like industry or economy, so this is microcosm. But let's use that as a frame of mind. Here's what Raul says: something to get your head around. Headline: A major asset class class crashed 42% in 14 days, wiping out a trillion dollars in value in an orgy of liquidations of people up to 100x leverage with very low regulation. Many tokens fell up to 70%, including unregulated lending and borrowing businesses. Beneath the headline. Crypto so that's, ha- that right. headline, by the way, is what right. people freak out about, right? Right. Like mainstream media, I saw it was like, how can institutions buy uh, mm-hmm. such a volatile asset? This is not mm-hmm. ready for mainstream. Mm-hmm. All of these headlines came out. Right. Beneath the headlines, though, so this is what Raul says, but, you know, here's the real through line that you should pay attention to. Crypto had a major, major uh, VAR. Do you know what that is, Ryan? VAR? Variant. Variance, I guess. But volatility, yeah. something? I don't know. Yeah. Um, and, and nothing happened. It had a shock test and nothing happened. Leverage liquidations was offset by over collateralization. Over collateralization is fundamentally safe. No one was left holding the baby. No firm went under. The Fed didn't need to step in. DeFi didn't break and carried on near normal. The markets cleared. The markets worked. DeFi apps worked. Nothing broke. That is absolutely fantastic. And like nothing broke and it dropped 60% in 11 days. In 2008, it didn't drop 60%. It dropped like 40% over like two weeks or something. I don't know. My, my memories, I, you know, I was like a kid during that. Um, this but the point is, it's like it took a harder punch and it came out, you know, came out swinging. It did. It did. I think people uh, overestimate the risk of DeFi sometimes. Not that there isn't smart contract risk and rug pull mm-hmm. risk and, and theft risk, but all of this lending, at least right now, none of it is credit-based. Mm-hmm. All of it's over-collateralized. Mm-hmm. So that that is a very open, honest market. You can see all of the activity on chain as it happens. Uh, so yeah, I mean, good for DeFi, good for crypto for f- sustaining some of this. It shows that it is possible to do so in an open, unregulated market. Maybe this is what open markets really look like. Mm-hmm. If, the fe- if, the, if the Fed and regulators like peeled off the, the veneer and stopped moving all of the dials around, maybe that's what we're seeing here. And he continues saying, there was no daisy change of collateral losses. Stable coins remained stable. A few centralized exchanges went down for an hour or two. No exchange big losses occurred. No protocol failed, mainly. No protocols went down. 
uh, it, overall, just like it, people get spooked by this 60% and like a lot of people just, just aren't ready to see the value, the value of their investments drop by 60%. And that's, that's their, that's their thing, but things worked. Right. And so to some degree, there is less risk in things that can take a 60% drop and rebound without completely dying. Like that's not something we've seen in the world before. Good acid test. Uh, here's another take on this, um, on DeFi. Decentralized exchanges had an absolutely incredible mm -hmm. set of days. This is actually from May 20th. So it was before the Sunday, the big sell-off. But look at these volumes, decentralized exchanges, David. Mm -hmm. I mean, they mm -hmm. held up. They supported the trading that needed to occur uh, for this volatility. And they like crushed it mm -hmm. in terms of volumes. Mm -hmm. Like super impressive. Over 10 billion in, in decentralized exchange volume on uh, May 20th. I bet there was even more on May 23rd. The sushi swap plus Uniswap dominance is absolutely insane. And just the amount of straight up pink on this graph, and for the listeners, pink means Uniswap, is really, really strong. Uh, I wonder how much extra volume came into DeFi because all these centralized exchanges were shut down. Hmm. Mm. Agreed. Mm. That's super interesting. Anyway, uh, that, that's the story of the dip so far. I mean, we'll continue to cover it, see what happens next week. I don't know if we'll be lower or higher. No one knows this. Uh, of course, but uh, we'll continue to keep you updated on the markets. And this is an interesting take while we're talking about numbers, David, uh, from Amin. Tornado Cash, maybe you can explain what that is, mm -hmm. but Tornado Cash is within 10x of flipping Zcash in terms of uh, total locked value of ETH uh, versus market cap of Zcash. What does this mean to you? Yeah, so Zcash is a ETH tumbler. It's an ETH mixer. And so you deposit... Not Zcash, Tornado Cash, yeah? Oh, is that what I... Oh, yeah, I meant to say Tornado Cash. Tornado Cash yes. is a ETH uh, mixer, right? And uh, they also are working on uh, DAI and, and USDC mixers, but right now just ETH. Uh, and so you deposit lots of 1 or 10 or 100 Ether into Tornado Cash. And then you wait because you're waiting for other people to also do the same. And when you deposit it, you get this note, right? You get a, a note back, which is a uh, just a cryptographic hash. And you kind of you save that on your computer. You save that not on the Ethereum blockchain. You save that in meat space, right? Then, then you wait for other people to come in, put their ether into the tumbler. Uh, you allow entropy to happen, so you just are patient. Then you, you come back with your note at a later date and time, uh, and then that note is a, a right to claim an equivalent amount of what you deposited into the tumbler, and you can send that to a different address elsewhere. And so it's a it's a privacy mechanism, right? So one of the biggest pain points about Ethereum and DeFi is that like if you need to pay someone or transfer money to someone or or just like if you need to do something like you and no you, privacy, there's no privacy. And you have that with cash, with cash money, you have privacy right. in the real world. Exactly. Right. And so like, uh, if I, if I pay you on, on, for my wallet, right, you can go and check out my wallet and see what else I've been doing in the world of crypto. Right. It's just like giving you complete, in, uh, inspection ability inspection ability into my personal finances and we don't like that uh and so what tornado cash does is it lets you put eth in and receive like a note like a, think think of literally a piece of paper but just like in digital form like a note uh and you can i can pass that around and that just passes around in meat space uh but then you can come back to tornado cash and redeem that for actual ether send it to a different wallet and uh you don't and you cut off that connection back to your og wallet zcash does a similar thing except zcash is an L1. It is a it's a native currency to the Zcash ecosystem, and they have similar transaction capacities. 
But the difference is Zcash is, you know, something non-native to Ethereum. And so really the through line here is, is privacy an L1 asset or is privacy an application in DeFi? I've always been of the opinion, and I'm pretty sure Ryan, you agree with me, that privacy is an app not an asset. Uh, privacy is something that you can bestow into assets, all assets, not just one specific asset. And so what Amin is saying is that Tornado Cash has $200 million of ETH deposited into it versus Zcash, which, which has a $2 billion market cap. And so what he's saying is he's keeping an eye on the um, the TVL of Tornado Cash in Ether terms versus the total market cap of Zcash, which is an L1. Uh, and this is a really good comparison. And I expect TVL and Tornado Cash to pass to pass Zcash over the long term. Yeah, I mean, for, for, for those who weren't here in like 2017, 2018, uh, this was very much an open question, right? There was very much the, the idea that we would, if we wanted to have privacy in uh, crypto, we would need privacy chains essentially completely separate mm -hmm. l1s and so the valuations of many of these privacy chains were, were based on this and this looks like ethereum is just kind of swallowing up the privacy use case and if there is a flippening of tornado cash to, to zcash i think there's like some conclusive evidence that privacy is better off as an app not as a whole separate uh, layer one nothing against zcash i mean that team is fantastic mm -hmm. they're doing great work um, putting out pioneers like, fantastic of cryptography. research, pioneers of, of cryptography, but like we're just putting on kind of an investor hat and sort of a thesis hat of how this space shapes up. And it looks like Ethereum is like swallowing up mm -hmm. some of these apps. So we'll continue to monitor that. Um, the thing is, in this also talk is a really awesome tailwinds behind Ether the asset, right? Because not only is Ether the asset ultrasound money, but if it can match or exceed Zcash in market cap inside of Tornado Cash, it's also ultra private money, right? Like literally Ether gets all of the features. Uh, and, and that's why we're all bullish on Ether is because every single app that DeFi, that DeFi comes to build benefits Ether the most. Yeah, absolutely. Okay. So uh, let's look at this too. This is an interesting tweet I thought was worth pulling mm -hmm. up. YFI trades at a price to earnings ratio, PE ratio used in stocks of 12 currently, 12 mm -hmm. with analyzed annualized earnings of 85 million based on May data. Price to earnings of 12. David, you don't see that anywhere. 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 Like Especially in capital assets, nowhere. Even in a normal stock market, 12 is low. What about a high growth industry like Ethereum and DeFi? I remember in 2017, we were all talking about how prices got so far ahead of like their PE ratios. People with PE ratios of like these stupid like 2017 tokens were like in the bajillions. And YFI, which is generating a ton of revenue, is sitting at 12. Like what? It's just it's just a reminder that the we have real capital assets this cycle mm -hmm. that are producing like real... Uh, revenues and profits mm -hmm. that you can easily track on chain totally different than 2017 now some people will say yeah but david um like these earnings are based on um you know token valuations elsewhere right and so like yields coming from all of this token farming incentivized farming and that is temporal that will dry up at some point in the future um and like that might be true right I, like i certainly understand kind of that that take uh, but yet we're still at 12. Like if you're going to compare this to, you know, something similar that happened in .com or Yahoo mm -hmm. had, had a crazy valuation. It's based on advertising generated from all the other .coms. And it was all a big bubble anyway. At that time, Yahoo was not trading at 12 PE ratio. It's trading the hundreds, if not the thousands. Mm -hmm. So I don't know. 
doesn't feel like a bubble to me. And, and <laughs> these are real capital assets. These are undis undiscovered assets, if you ask me. Pretty impressive. And importantly, uh, Yearn is putting on its balance sheet both its own equity, right? The YFI token, but also ETH, right? So it's a PE ratio Ooh. of 12 for Ether, not for dollars, right? And so like that hits different, at least in my mind. Yeah, and we're going to get to that in the takes uh, a Wi-Fi governance proposal mm -hmm. um, that is going to do that. Let's let's take a look at this from David Mihal. This is uh, Money Movers. Which blockchain is settling more value? We've got Ethereum here now surpassing Bitcoin, uh, and I think this is just stablecoins, David. So stablecoin value on Ethereum has now passed Bitcoin value settled. Uh, on Bitcoin for the first time since DeFi. Summer. Oh, I see. I so, see. Right. Okay. So what's going on here is not Bitcoin's tr uh, stablecoin settlements because there used there used to be and perhaps still is Omni on Bitcoin uh, transferring stablecoins. What this is saying is stablecoins being transferred on Ethereum is equal to volume the volume of BTC being transferred on Bitcoin. Wow, yeah. that's crazy. Yeah, it's crazy and it's huge. Like it's this is very much Ethereum becoming the kind of the settlement layer for the world, I will say. Mm -hmm. Although I will also say it's not quite an apples to apples comparison because we make this distinction with Bitcoin on Bitcoin is a bare asset. It's completely trustless, right? Mm -hmm. Stablecoins on Ethereum, some of them are, maybe, mm -hmm. like Liquidity, the protocol we talked to earlier, but some are USDC and Tether. And their settlement doesn't just happen on Ethereum. It also happens in meat space. So an interesting comparison, I think. Also not quite apples to apples, mm. but uh, maybe yet another flippening. Interesting. I, I kind of think that's beside the point. Um, I said beside the point of this particular take. This particular take is that Ethereum is being used to settle value. We can talk about the nature of that value and like the banklessness of that value being settled. But I actually think that's a separate conversation. To some degree, it's just like dollar settled versus dollar settled. I actually think we'll get into some of that conversation uh, when we talk about um, like some of the layer twos that are popping up, because I see a lot of this transaction settlement activity for low trust stable coins mm. or for less trustless stable coins might start to happen on layer twos. Anyway, we'll get to that. All right, guys, we're going to be back with the hot releases next. But first, we want to thank the sponsors who made this episode possible. Aave is a borrowing and lending protocol on Ethereum and just recently released Aave version 2, which has a ton of cool new features that makes using Aave even more powerful. With Aave, you can leverage the full power of DeFi, Money Legos, Yield, and Composability all in one application. On Aave, there are a ton of assets that you can deposit in order to gain yield, and all of those same assets can also be borrowed from the protocol if you have deposited collateral. Here you can see me getting a 200 USDC loan against my portfolio of a number of different DeFi tokens and ETH. I'll choose a variable interest rate because it's a lower rate than the stable interest rate option, but I could choose the stable interest rate option if I wanted to lock that interest rate in permanently. One of Aave's V2 features is the ability to swap collateral without having to withdraw your assets, trade them on Uniswap, and then deposit them back into Aave. Aave does all of this for you all in one seamless transaction, so you don't have to repay loans in order to change the collateral you have backing them. Check out the power of Aave at Aave.com. That's A-A-V-E.com. Balancer is DeFi's most powerful automated market maker. 
Typical AMMs just have two tokens inside of one liquidity pool, which can lead to fractured liquidity across the many pairs in DeFi. With Balancer, you can access the full power of multiple tokens inside of one single AMM, which unlocks an entirely new playing field of possibility. This makes Balancer an awesome building block for so many different use cases. Balancer pools can make asset indexes, but instead of paying fees to portfolio managers, Balancer lets you collect fees from traders who use your portfolio for liquidity. Additionally, Balancer smart pools can be programmed to have properties that change according to predetermined rules, such as changing the swap fee based on market conditions, or even liquidity bootstrapping pools, which can help you launch and distribute your token with day one liquidity. At Bankless, we used a liquidity bootstrapping pool to sell our BAP t-shirts to much success. Balancer V2 brings powerful new features that makes your money work even harder for you. In V2, idle tokens are capable of generating yield in DeFi without sacrificing liquidity in the pool. To top things off, Balancer is reimbursing gas costs with BAL rewards, meaning that your gas fees are reimbursed up to the cost of the transaction with the Balancer governance token. Balancer's mission is to become the primary source of liquidity in DeFi by providing the most flexible and powerful platform for asset management and decentralized exchange. Dive into the Balancer pools at pools.balancer.exchange today. Here we go, guys. It is release time. David, we got to start by talking about layer two. Layer two summer. Layer two it feels summer. like it is the night before layer two and all through the house. It feels like it feels Everyone like Everyone is stirring and waiting for it. <laughs> <laughs> Everyone's talking about when's it coming? When's it coming? I feel like it's actually about to hit us like a tidal wave. Mm -hmm. And let's talk about why that might be the case. The first is Arbitrum. Mm -hmm. Okay, launching maybe today. Today. As, as you're in, listening to this. Not the day of recording, the day of you listening to this. The listener. day of you listening to it, May 28th, was supposed to be the day. Of course, we have Arbitrum on State of the Nation on Tuesday, so we'll get the full update there. Make sure you tune into that. But why is Arbitrum interesting, David? Uh, because it is one of the two big L2s that uh, is really true to the values and ethos of Ethereum, right? So we got Optimism and we got our Arbitrum. There are other L2s as well, but those are really the, the two um, pioneers in the world of cryptography that are extending the base layer security of Ethereum into the L2s with uncompromising decentralization and security. Uh, and there's about to be, in my in my opinion, a just rush to grab new real estate, right? Like we've already seen applications deploy on uh, Polygon, Aave, SushiSwap, uh, really competing with each other to get like TVL and liquidity inside of Polygon. And Polygon isn't even really the complete version of L2s that we all have been talking about for the past like six months. That's Optimism and Arbitrum. And Arbitrum launches tomorrow for dev developers. And there's just going to be a race to get in and start deploying on Arbitrum. And the, the magnitude of how this is going to change the user experience for the general DeFi user is, can't be understated. Everything is about to change. Everything is about to change. Yeah, I agree with that. So this take a new scaling project has entered this sidechain chat. Arbitrum is not a sidechain, mm -hmm. interestingly enough. So Coindesk, that, not quite right. Um, Arbitrum is what we would call a layer two. That means it is secured by the Ethereum mainnet, uh, similar settlement guarantees, and economically secured by ETH, the asset. First one of these to launch mm -hmm. with an EVM. Mm -hmm. So that means all of the DeFi projects you know and love on Ethereum mainnet can be fairly seamlessly ported over right. to Arbitrum. And I think they're not just launching like, hey, we're live. They're going to be launching with a whole bunch of projects. Mm -hmm. So, what, what, and we'll find out more, I guess, tomorrow or today, uh, maybe um, for the listener. And then also on Tuesday when we talk to them. 
but this was interesting from Hayden Adams. The Uniswap community has spoken and with overwhelming support in favor of an Arbitrum deployment of Uniswap V3, Uniswap deploying an Arbitrum. David, it was not uh, too long ago where we talked to Hayden about his layer two plans and uh, Uniswap was, was very much of the opinion that like, hey, we want to maximize for decentralization. So roll-up solution is the way to go. They were thinking optimism at the time. That is definitely still the path forward. But now it looks like the community is pushing them to explore Arbitrum as well. And Uniswap's going to be there. Very exciting. What do you make of this? I mean, to some degree, you literally have no costs, few costs to deploy on every Why single not? viable L2. Why not? Plus, yeah. let the market decide. Like, deploy everywhere. Let the, let the market choose. But you can't let the market choose without deploying to every single possible spot. And Arbitrum is a very viable spot to deploy. You literally have no reason not to. And may, maybe they both they both work out. Uh, and and it's only beneficial to Uni token holders to have surface area on Optimism and Arbitrum and Polygon for that matter. Wherever people are, just allow the market to express itself. And so I think DeFi apps are about to be deployed everywhere. It does seem uh, Uniswap so far has opted to deploy in the most decentralized chains only, sure. which means like roll-up chains, Optimism mm -hmm. and um, and Arbitrum, but maybe Polygon at some point too. Mm -hmm. um, a little, like it's less, of, Polygon is of course more of a side chain, less of a layer two at this point, but they're moving in that direction as well. Um, th this kind of brought it home this to me, me that shivers. Optimism is coming as well. Okay, so like Optimism, on Etherscan. David, I know you've used Polygon, mm -hmm. right? So like mm -hmm. th th this is also why it's so exciting to see these roll-up solutions because like DeFi on Polygon with no gas fees mm -hmm. is awesome. Mm -hmm. Like it's really fun and it's yeah. great. Like you can experiment, it just works with MetaMask, you know, the same yeah. DeFi tool used to. It's great. No, no cost for experimentation because transactions are basically free and instant. It's like, oh, do I want to try this thing out? Like, I don't even have to think twice because it's free. I'll do it. I'll do it. And yeah. if, I don't, if I don't like it, I'll just undo it. Like, no cost. So, yeah, the people who are priced out of Ethereum can mm -hmm. can use uh, Polygon, but it makes some trade-offs, of course. And But, but like, to me, Polygon is sort of a, a proof of concept. Like, will there be demand for a, an EVM um, roll-up chain? Yes, absolutely there will. Why? Because we've seen Polygon. We've seen even Binance chain with the EVM. Massive amount of demand on both of those chains. So to me, we've got product market fit. Anyway, this is about optimistic um, roll-ups on Etherscan. Mm -hmm. So when you use Polygon, you don't have the Etherscan block explorer, right. which, which I personally really believe annoying. in. Really annoying. Yeah, but here it is, right? Mm -hmm. You can click here. And this is this is, this is what up. the UI of, of this of rollups are going to be, right? If with your MetaMask, if you want to go and, and use Polygon, you go to MetaMask and instead of using the Ethereum main chain, you take the drop down bar and you hit Polygon. That's going to be the same exact thing for both Arbitrum and Optimism. You're just going to select a different network. And the fact that you can just fork Etherscan and do like, oh yeah, the optimistic Etherscan, which Etherscan is like one of the great blessings awesome. just given so to the useful. world and the fact so that useful. we can just have the same thing on optimism is so awesome so it's so good. exciting this is why we're excited about layer two su summer this is why david i feel like this is coming like a tidal wave because mm -hmm. it's not this stuff is not just going to launch it's going to launch with actual DeFi projects that we use today that already have product market fit um Let's go to the next take here. Oh, here's a question mm -hmm. that, that came up that I think we should address. And, and uh, before we do, uh, listeners, if you have questions that you want us to address and they're good questions, we will address them. So that's a through line here. Yeah, here's a question. Love what you guys do at Bankless. My question, how can ETH's value benefit from layer twos? Wouldn't scalability decrease gas and therefore also the coming deflationary burning of gas compared to current state? 
So that's the question, David, is like, mm -hmm. are these layer twos actually competitive mm -hmm. with Ethereum mm -hmm. and with Ethereum block space? Why don't you take a first uh, stab at this question? Oh, yeah, this is a this is a really awesome conversation. Uh, first off, there is this concept of induced demand, right? And so this is one of the big reasons why Bitcoin with its scaling debate with Bitcoin versus Bitcoin Cash and also Ethereum with like raising the block size too much is also relevant here. If you just scale up the Ethereum blockchain, you actually don't um, you don't actually relieve fees at the base layer because people just become to use it more. Like the more scale you have, there's a basal level of what people will pay for and people are going to pay for that no matter what. And so if we scale the base layer, people are just going to use that more. And so like moving volume activity off of the base chain onto L2s means that other people are free to use the base layer because there's more freedom there. And so there's just going to be this induced demand. And that's why we just don't like skyrocket the block size to infinity to allow for that transactional capacity. That's why we don't do that because we know the fees are just going to come regard or the uh, transactional demand is going to come regardless. The other thing is that if you are on an Ethereum L2 like Optimism or Arbitrum, you are still committed to the Ethereum base layer, right? Your transactional activity then and optimism and, and Arbitrum and all these L2s, the volume of economic activity can be really, really hot, but it's still like locked into the Ethereum ecosystem, right? If you ever want to get off of the Arbitrum L2, you're going back to Ethereum. And so... Uh, we, we talked about this uh, with Nick Carter and he uh, on his uh, block space cycle podcast slash article, which is really good uh, article and podcast to understand the Ethereum gas markets. He used this concept of a governor and how a governor, a governor is a mechanism, not not like a governor of a city. Governor is like a, a, a tool and a governor is how uh, the steam engine began to work, where if the steam engine gets too hot, it puts a bunch of energy into these weighted spinning like metal balls that are, have a lot of mass and they spin around really, really uh, uh, fast. And that's how a steam engine can self-regulate. And that's the metaphor I use for the Ethereum uh, base layer, where like if the Ethereum base layer is getting too hot and fees are getting too high, it expends energy by putting it into the L2s, right? And then the L2s suck up some of that d demand to, to transact. Then if the Ethereum base layer starts to cool off, those spinning, like the spinning governors, uh, the, the spinning weighted balls, uh, those are allowed to uh, um, decrease in energy and put potential energy back into the main chain. And so once the fees on the main chain come down, people can come back from the L2s and because the fees are cheaper. And so they come back from Arbitrum, they come back from Optimism and they say, oh, the fees on Ethereum just went from like a bajillion gas to a much more reasonable amount of gas. Let's go back to the main chain, right? And so it keeps economic activity on Ethereum really, really sticky. And it allows for a much broader set of economic use cases overall, right? And so like Arbitrum and, and all these L2s where transactions are going to be free and instant, all of a sudden that opens up a brand new domain of economic activities that we have never been able to do before on the Ethereum base layer. And so it's creating new economic activity uh, and it's, it's stuck on Ethereum. It's sticky to Ethereum. Uh, and so overall, just more activity on Ethereum that is ultimately secured by Ether, the asset at the main chain is always good. There is maybe there's some relief of gas fees and there is literally less gas fees being burnt. But the stickiness and the centrality of this economic activity to Ethereum is the through line. And that's what you, we should be focusing on. I'll, I'll note also that uh, chains like um, Arbitrum and and optimistic rollups, uh, optimism, they literally require ETH in order to, as a bonding mechanism, 
in order to have them operate and for some of their security guarantees. We'll talk uh, with the Arbitrum team about that next next Tuesday. But because of all you said, David, what, what tends to happen is there's this important concept of economic density, right? Like there was a time when really ridiculous transactions occurred on Bitcoin. And when I say ridiculous, I just mean like very low volume, low value uh, activities uh, occurred on um, Bitcoin. Like there's kind of like a Bitcoin pixel type game where you just like select a pixel and that would be a, a Bitcoin, you know, transaction. Satoshi's place. Um, yeah, Satoshi's place, right? Eric did Eric Voorhees was he behind that? No, I can't he, remember. That, it. That's Satoshi's dice. That's uh, oh, Satoshi's but, dice, right? But so, same point, like kind of concept. weird, weird, like low value transactions that are just really lock games. space was cheap. Why right. not? Now mm -hmm. it's permanently on the Bitcoin ledger. We would never imagine a Satoshi's dice game like today. Mm -hmm. Similarly, like it doesn't really make sense to have low value transactions on Ethereum today. Like the idea of breeding a, a crypto kitty the way that we right. did in like 2017 and issuing that on right. um, Ethereum, like that would not work, does right. not fly today. So what tends to happen is, what will tend to happen is higher economic density transactions will occur on Ethereum. These are the transactions that are high amounts, like high value, and also require high degrees of trustlessness and decentralization. And so um, the transactions will get like more and more and more dense over time until you might be left with like entire like transactions that occur on Ethereum that are compilations of pull-ups, entire chains, like economic activities of entire chains. I think of this kind of as the, the suburbs versus cities analogy too, David. It's like mm -hmm. when New York City starts building other suburbs, right? It doesn't take away from New York City. It actually is additive mm -hmm. to New York City and like the metropolitan inner city in like inner city type area. Uh, and economic activity of that. So people are so committed to living in Manhattan, even though they can't, that they just live next to it. Exactly. Exactly. So I I, I think that um, all of these, even the side chains, David, like even Binance Smart Chain is mm -hmm. actually additive to yeah. Ethereum, right? Uh -huh. And because like it's using the EVM, it's mm -hmm. like you know mm -hmm. onboarding people into DeFi, right. and like they eventually graduate into Ethereum or another rollup. It's like all additive. So. Great question. Mm -hmm. Hopefully that answers some of it. Um, we'll, we'll see how it all plays out, but I'm excited. Think At the additive. end of this conversation is the protocol sync thesis, right? Like the reason why Binance Smart Chain is additive to Ethereum is because things settle down to the most uh, secure and strongly, settlement, strongly held settlement assurances in the planet. Uh, and that's where Ether and Ethereum is. And so the more things we could do that's proximate to that, the more things fall down the protocol sync. We haven't talked about the protocol sync in, in a while, Ryan. We should we should kick that up again. We definitely should, guys. We'll try to include some resources on that in the show notes too. Um, talk about it another time. David, another thing is Polygon mm -hmm. has uh, released some really interesting news. They are announcing a Polygon SDK. And here's why I think this is interesting is because this SDK allows you to build other Polygon sidechains. So David, we talked earlier about um, Ethereum kind of eating apps, like eating mm -hmm. privacy as an app. One other interesting concept that was birthed in you know, 2017, 2018 was this idea of uh, the Cosmos, um, which, is, which is a separate uh, chain. And it takes a different approach than Ethereum. You, you have sort of um, all of these different sidechains essentially um, that pay for their own security, right? And that um, essentially are, are transmitted through the Cosmos hub. 
Um, that was a really interesting project. I think remains an interesting project. There's some cool stuff being built on that. Um, essentially what Polygon is doing here is giving you an SDK. So if you're a developer, you want to create your own app chain, you can create your own app chain as a side chain. So there might be the idea of Ethereum through Polygon kind of eating this whole app chain cosmos idea, except settlement occurs through Ethereum rather than a cosmos hub. That's why I think this is, this is an interesting move for, um, for Polygon. We'll see how it plays out. Yeah, the, uh, the, there's a famous through line that was originally created by Bitcoiners, which is anything that's actually useful will ultimately become built on Bitcoin. Some, some Bitcoiners still say that. That's actually becoming true on Ethereum. Uh, we talked about Zcash. Zcash is being built on Ethereum in the form of Tornado Cash. EOS was was built on, on Ethereum as well with this Loom network, but neither of those things worked out. The thing is like, if, the, if it is a good idea, the whole point of what Vitalik calls like um, functionality escape velocity, if it can be built and it's useful, it will be built on Ethereum. And that's the power of the EVM. That's what the EVM can do. If it's useful, you can deploy it on the EVM. And if, you, if it is useful, you might as well deploy it onto Ethereum because that's where everyone else is. Yeah, this kind of reminds me of the co Cosmos model, except with the mm -hmm. EBM, basically. Right. And mm -hmm. so you get some of that network effect. All right, David, let's uh, let's move a bit faster here. So we get through the, the <laughs> we're still in releases. Gitcoin just released a Gitcoin DAO governance token. We've talked about that a ton on State of the Nation. Go mm -hmm. check that out. Any any words on this release? Yeah, Kevin, Kevin Awaki is really pioneering what it means to DAO. Uh, and I think the cool thing about uh, Gitcoin token, uh, and maybe I'm biased here, but like Gitcoin is a off-chain DAO in the sense that like Uniswap, uh, Yearn, SushiSwap, those are on-chain DAOs. They have protocols that they operate with. Gitcoin, uh, Bank, Bankless DAO, uh, Metafactory, these are off-chain DAOs. These are different kinds of DAOs where people collect in the meat space world, usually on Discord, uh, and they figure out what to do. Uh, and they figure out how to progress. And so these are really just digital organizations that don't necessarily have smart contracts on Ethereum, yet still operate as a distributed organization. Uh, and so I'm really optimistic about the future of, of uh, Gitcoin DAO. There is a ton of reasons to be really, really excited. Uh, it's kind of like the DAO of DAOs in the sense that like Gitcoin as a platform funds other public goods and DAOs are kind of like public goods. Uh, there's there's a whole incredible like thesis, bullish thesis that will never ever come out of the Gitcoin team because of you know reasons, but I'll say it. Yeah, absolutely. And by the way, quick PSA, if you've ever given to a Gitcoin grant or opened mm -hmm. one yourself, you should go check out uh, to see if you're eligible to receive GTC tokens as well. Um, all right, last release here. Coinbase Institutional is announcing the unveiling of some new offerings here. David, mm -hmm. what's this about? Yeah, basically they are, I, I think this is kind of like, there's some real products here, but more more this is a, just a rebrand of Coinbase's traditional products in like an institutional package. Uh, all all of Coinbase's products are just being like kind of reorged into a little like box and then presented to institutions and like oh we have Coinbase Institutional now. Uh, I think really the main feature is like this integration between deep cold storage with insurance, which gives institutions peace of mind, but allowing that cold storage to fluidly interact with Coinbase, the exchange, right? And and so the th the, it allows for like safe and secure and insured custody, but also liquidity when the time comes for it. Uh, and so this is now Coinbase institutions, like 
next to Coinbase Pro and Coinbase Custody and Coinbase Yeah, look, Earn. they, they want to be the, the crypto bank for institutions, right? So they want to mm -hmm. replicate Michael Saylor's, uh, mm -hmm. we're buying Bitcoin for our treasury success right. over mm -hmm. and over again with right. every single institution and company. Powered uh, by in Coinbase Institution. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. So it's a, it's a definitely a good play. We'll get more institutions into crypto. All right, David, that is it for releases. Let's switch over to news. Mm -hmm. Man, I think the leading news this week is two billionaires, Carl Icahn, Ray Dalio, talking about crypto, and also China. China FUD? <laughs> Maybe not. Unrelated Maybe to the billionaires. What's going on in China? Unrelated. Two separate topics. Let's, mm -hmm. let's talk about the billionaires first. This is Carl Icahn. Mm -hmm. So he is a famous billionaire, activist, invents, uh, investor, corporate raider, some would call him. Um, you know, I, I, I just remember times where he is basically like, invested a whole bunch, bunch of money into companies and totally shaken them up, like remove the CEO, install a new management team, write a letter to shareholders. Like he, he is an activist investor. Now he's talking about Ethereum mm -hmm. and now he's talking about Bitcoin. And some of the quotes here are pretty phenomenal, pretty crazy. So he says, with Ethereum, it's the underlying blockchain. So Ethereum has two things. You can use it as a payment system and you can use it as a store of value payment system and store value. Ethereum he's talking about, not Bitcoin. Mm -hmm. So he says, so Ethereum and Bitcoin are different. Bitcoin to me is just a store of value. Wow. wow. He's getting into the store of value versus like mm -hmm. what's a blockchain and right. you know, can, can there be more? Basically uh, the, really the, the through line that I'm hearing there is that Ethereum has an app layer and it's a store of value, right? That's what right. he's really saying. The blockchain is like, oh yeah, there's things to do there. And there's a native store of value. That's that's the, like the through line that I think he's tying, uh, cluing into. He also says he wants to get into crypto in a relatively big way, mm -hmm. right? So what does he say? I mean, a big way for us would be a billion dollars, a billion and a half dollars. I'm not going to say exactly. Which <laughs> leads to the question, right? Carl Icahn I, I, operated in these markets for who knows how long, knows how to manip manipulate media, right? knows mm -hmm. how this game is played. If Carl has not already bought a billion dollars worth of ETH and Bitcoin, like already, mm -hmm. why in the world is he announcing that he's about to do something big in crypto and maybe like hinting buy a billion dollars worth of ETH and Bitcoin? Are you saying that this like, is like psyops and he's actually already done it, or what are you? What are saying, you saying, man? <laughs> like the guy's not. Yes, that's what I'm saying, David. Yeah. Like he's if he's on media, TV, uh -huh. doing this, I don't know for sure. Like sure. He's got to have positions in some of these assets. Right. Why, why is he saying this sort yeah. of thing? I mean, in, incentives would align with your thesis, right? Like, why? Why? Who, who has the incentive but, to shill before they fill their bag? Incentives, but also, like, this is what this guy does. It's his right. playbook. Right. Right? Like, he's an activist yeah. investor. Mm -hmm. it, um, implying that over a billion dollars of buying demand is going to be coming into these assets, <laughs> even though it maybe have already, has already happened. Look, I'm just asking the question, you know, mm. who knows what Carl's done. Maybe, maybe Carl filled his bags, <laughs> uh, bags during the, uh, the Sunday drop when everyone got spooked and, and he, bought, be. he bought their spooked bags. S some, some are predicting that he plans to manipulate it further. So like, he's just saying that and then he's going to like, you know, Game on, price Carl. down and then like, oh, whatever, <laughs> you know, we, we, we've already seen a 66% drop. You can't mm -hmm. scare us, Carl. <laughs> Let's talk about Dahlia. This is a bit more of a long-term thinker investor, a lot different. Uh, different class of billionaire, I guess, than Carl Icahn. Um, but he came out, I watched his presentation with CoinDesk on Monday, and he said this, I have some Bitcoin. 
talked about crypto. He talked about Bitcoin. He talked about Bitcoin being a better buy than bonds. Man, Dalio is one of my favorite thinkers in this space, right? Like, he because he thinks historically about um, money and how Macro. currencies, right? Like, have changed over history, right? So, like, he, he goes back to the, the British pound and and um, and before, and then he, he talks about fiat as like sort of a passing regime. All fiat monies have failed eventually, and so he thinks we're in a late credit. Uh, debt cycle, let, late debt cycle, basically, and that fiat and you, the U.S. as the world reserve currency is on its way out, about to be replaced by something else. So his message is like, position yourself. Mm -hmm. Historically, the positioning has been all about commodities and gold, but now he is getting crypto friendly. Mm -hmm. uh, he also talked about DeFi, being very excited about DeFi, uh, and he, he also mentioned Ethereum in uh, that conversation, and he was like asking to be educated further on DeFi and Ethereum. So he also said he wasn't convinced that that Bitcoin could win. He said Bitcoin's um, could be a victim of its own success. So he was worried about uh, Bitcoin and other crypto assets becoming large enough to start threatening nation states and the nation states reacting to them in a very negative way. Of course, the crypto response to that is like, yeah, w when that's a problem, crypto is going to be really big. Right. Like, so mm -hmm. maybe you should still buy now. Right. Um, but anyway, really good conversation mm -hmm. with Dahlia. And I, it feels like he's definitely warming up. He owns crypto. Mm -hmm. That's pretty crazy. It sounds like uh, Dahlia is ready to come on Bankless. Uh, it sounds <laughs> like it's, it's time it's time for us to finally talk to, to Ray Dahlia. I know he's you been itching, itching to come on. I'm sure he has been. <laughs> yeah, I'm sure, he's I'm sure he's listening. So Dahlia, if you're listening, mm -hmm. we'd love to have you on Bankless. Lo yeah. Love your thesis for the space. The thing uh, is, David, like, you should. I, I think he bought Bitcoin a while ago. I think he bought Bitcoin before he accepted being a speaker at Consensus, and that was like months ago. Yeah, I mean, gotta be, gotta had be. to have. I don't know if his fund has though. Just oh, different. Bridge, oh, interesting. Bridgewater. I don't know if his fund has if that's mm -hmm. personal or, or what. Um, all right, let's talk China. This so, David, you know more about this. You start. Right. Okay. So there is this meme of China bans Bitcoin. Uh, it happens in bull markets. It happens once every two to three months. It happened like seven times in 2017. It's already happened like two or three times so far this cycle. This time, apparently it's different. Uh, and not specifically not Bitcoin, but uh, Bitcoin mining, I think. Uh, and so the rumors are, and if you really want to dive deeper into this, go follow Nick Carter and, and uh, listen to what he's been saying. But uh, Bitcoin miners are leaving China uh, out of fear of uh Fear out of fear, I guess. Uh, and so Bitcoin, the Bitcoin mining hash rate has been noticed to have been migrating out of certain areas in China elsewhere. Uh, there, and that's perhaps one of the big reasons as to why Bitcoin uh, fell off and dumped off because Bitcoin miners needed to liquidate their positions to uh, fund their costs of moving entire operations. Uh, so this is a big deal. Like it's not just like there's a lot of hash power in China. Uh, and so getting moving to hash power out of China is a is a costly endeavor just because of the magnitude of how where many, are they going, David? I don't know. I don't know. Elsewhere. But the, the through line is elsewhere. Um, and so uh, Bitcoin miners are, are, are leaving. And this has really changed the, the narrative game. Bitcoiners are trying to change the narrative game with this. And and rightfully so. Uh, this, is, this is words out of uh, Nick Carter, uh, where, you know, uh, hash power leaving China is really bullish for, for Bitcoin from the American U.S. United States perspective, because hash power gets cleaner 
because we are killing dirty hash power and it's migrating to cleaner sources. And it's also uh, influxing into the United States. And so Chinese mining hash power dominance is coming down and more decentralization, more decentralized hash power is rising up. And then it's also green, greener is the, is the through line narrative. Uh, and so uh, this is a cause short term pain, but long term optimism for the world of Bitcoin mining and green mining. Um, and there, and so that that's the TLDR. Um, and so, okay, all right, here we go. You know, it's what's interesting about this. Of you know, of course, uh, I I can see Bitcoiners wanting to get ahead of the narrative and and mm-hmm. you know saying this is dirty hash power going to clean. Of course, we've made the point that like, hey, you know, it's super clean. It's proof of stake. Is not you know, not consuming nine point nine percent reduction in energy use. Mm-hmm. Um, but that aside, what what's interesting about this is it is a. Uh, a regime, a, a nation-state-led regime, cracking down mm-hmm. on block validation through mm-hmm. miners. Mm-hmm. Uh, what would this look like in an ETH two staking sort right. of world? Right, right, where you 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 don't have these large servers like you know mining facilities consuming bundles of energy. You've got a, a staking rig maybe at your house, mm-hmm. right? Like, does the nation state, does an authoritarian nation state, crack down on that? Right. It feels a lot different to me, right? right? Rather than a handful of companies you can go target, like mm-hmm. you're actively targeting your citizens. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Crazy dystopian stuff to think about, but like, right? There, there. One, one thing to to take away from this is that the footprint of Bitcoin mining is always a liability. It is never. Yeah. It is never. What's the opposite of liability? An asset. It's never an asset. asset. It's it's a liability through and through. And not only is the foot the physical footprint, but like the energy consumption. It doesn't matter if it's green or whatever, or if it's like literally solar powered coming from a Dyson sphere. It's a footprint <laughs> either way. <laughs> How many people are googling Dyson sphere right now? <laughs> Anyways, energy consumption liability. Um, that's why we like proof of stake because you you can stake your Ethereum node through Tor. And, and I mean, if you're a computer science expert, you can stake inside of China and they'll never find out. Um, not advice though. I, this is I not, don't, a don't big listen deal. to me. I'm not an expert. <laughs> is it, like, this is not a big deal though for Bitcoin. I don't think like no. miners leave from China, they go elsewhere, right? There's a hash drop maybe, mm-hmm. but we get some um, more decentralization out of it. Mm-hmm. All good, True. all good, seems like. Good, right, good, David, good let's... trade, but like not an asymmetric trade. Just like positive linear trade, but it's not moving the needle over the long term. There you go. All right, let's talk about this Ethereum stuff. Cuban is investing in Polygon. That's our friend Mark Cuban, who's mm-hmm. been on the podcast before. I was a Polygon user, and I find myself using it more and more. He said an email. So what does he do? He invests. It's a pretty big name to draw into mm-hmm. a, a side chain layer two type project. Kind of cool. Yeah, and again, once again, it's always really cool to see Mark Cuban using this stuff. And I, I kind of feel like that's been the through line of Polygon over the last month is like, oh, people just find themselves on Polygon because of reasons. Uh, you know, cheaper, they buy it? Che- cheaper gas fees, <laughs> like, you know, Aave on Polygon, Polygon, like Matic Token yield farming. And then all of a sudden, like, oh, I guess I should just buy this because it's real estate. It's real estate. It's a suburb of Manhattan. And if people are there, people want the real estate. And so that's why they're buying Matic Token. That's definitely the narrative. Uh, let's talk about this. David, oh, do you see this yes. in the Wall Street Journal yes. front page? Yes. <laughs> like, I, I don't even think it's the headline. The headline is Upstart Peer-to-Peer Crypto Exchange Takes Aim at Coinbase. Who are they talking about? Wall Street Journal, Journal finally talking about Uniswap, mm-hmm. right? 
But this picture, dude, is hilarious. Describe the, this picture for people. The, it's not the headline that's the headline. It's the picture that's the headline. <laughs> and this headline, the, the head, the real headline is uh, bankers meet your worst fucking enemy. A nerdy, <laughs> a nerdy work, lo looking white guy in a, in a uh -huh. unicorn t-shirt. Hayden Adams coming to destroy your fucking banks. Like, oh my God. Yes. Like, meet, your, uh, meet your worst enemy, a software developer on top of Ethereum. It's good. Didn't mm -hmm. ask for permission. Just built this thing. Yep. You know, two years later, mm -hmm. it's already threatening the banks, making the mm -hmm. Wall Street Journal, mm -hmm. doing hundreds of millions mm -hmm. in transaction revenue annualized. Mm -hmm. uh, how many assets on there? 50,000 different assets. Right. Like crazy stuff. I love it. I love these types of headlines. Hayden, Hayden Adams is like, hey, Banks, that's a nice TVL you got there. It's, it would be a shame <laughs> if somebody came and took it. <laughs> yeah. Hey, NASDAQ, nice volume, guys. <laughs> Oops. Oops. <laughs> it's all on Uniswap now. <laughs> uh, too fun. All right. This is fun to you. NFT.GameStop.com.GameStop.com is the URL GameStop is entering the NFT game, mm -hmm. entering the blockchain game. They're mm -hmm. doing so on Ethereum, it looks like. With Ethereum branding. What's this? Why? What's happening here? Do we yeah. know? I, I copied that address and I put it into the Etherscan and it's got a GameStop token that people are trying to interact with a co contract address, but uh, nothing's happening. I don't know what that is. But importantly, this is, this is just a landing page, nft.gamestop.com. And it says, we are building a team. We welcome exceptional engineers, Solidity, React, Python, designers, gamers, marketers, and community leaders. If you want to join our team, send your profile or something you've built to NFT nf team okay nftean <laughs> at gamestop.com just one uh, t shout out to matt finestone for leading this goddamn charge with gamestop congratulations for landing that gig matt finestone formerly at loopering is the guy that is leading the nft charge into gamestop fun, fun fact gme is the only asset that i own that's not a crypto asset and the reason why i buy <laughs> it was 100 a political reason i bought it i i bought one share at like 330 dollars which is like literally the top when it first pumped and I was like, oh, I like clued into the story, right? Like, you know, fuck the hedge funds. Is that when we go, talked go, go about the, it yes, after right, the hedge yeah, fund? Yeah, right. Yeah, Literally okay. bought it as a like, I'm doing my part. Uh, and then it dropped to like a hundred and like $30 and I bought you two held, and I bought, bought two more, bought double down. And now right in this moment of time, the short squeeze is on again. And, and so the, the price of GameStop right now is at like $240 or something. Uh, and the fact that it's happening during this NFT release is so fucking perfect it's so awesome let's see what, what the actual current price is right now 240 dollars. Oh, right this is david getting addicted to the wall street bet stuff <laughs> different show it's no longer gonna be defi <laughs> gamestop we're adding a gamestop section back into the, to the weekly roll-ups <laughs> anyways uh uh matthew finestone congratulations for leading this nft team if you like nfts and you want to help out gamestop uh squeeze the shit out of some shorts uh go sign up for them and help them build out nfts in the world of gaming you know, whatever it's going to be built on. If, if Matt's involved, it's going to be on a roll-up of some sort. Mm -hmm, so mm -hmm, we got mm -hmm. that look to look forward to. And maybe the GME community will start to wake up uh, and Wall Street Bets community will start to wake up and join a DeFi. I think mm -hmm. there's a kindred spirit there mm -hmm. that hasn't been tapped into. Mm -hmm. All right, let's talk Bitcoin stuff. Michael Saylor, did he buy Bitcoin this week? No, that's not the headline. I mean, he probably did, but yeah. He probably right. did, but he is uh, hosting with Elon Musk a Bitcoin miners in North America sort of council, I guess. Yeah. Mm -hmm. yeah. Mining you know. council? Not cartel, sir. Not cartel. Council. 
different different c word different <laughs> okay so uh what's this about this is like a handshake with elon musk mm -hmm. sort of thing from michael right. saylor I get that. What is the mining council? Overall, I'm wary that like Elon Musk is still talking about Bitcoin stuff and dabbling in the Bitcoin world, but I'll, I'll, I'll patiently wait to see this play out. Elon Musk says, spoke with North American Bitcoin miners. They committed to publish current and planned renewable usage to ask miners, WW, don't know what that is, to do so, potentially promising. Um, Worldwide. So World, uh, ask miners worldwide to be be more green. So this is a this is a rebranding exercise. Like, hey, Bitcoin miners, like we're going to get effed by mainstream media and public opinion about the dirtiness of Bitcoin. So we got to do something about it. We got to get green. Uh, and so then Michael Taylor retweets this and says, the miners have agreed to form the Bitcoin Mining Council to promote energy usage transparency and accelerate sustainability initiatives worldwide. This is, in my mind, a capitulation on the green energy narrative where we have people like Green uh, Nick Carter who is fighting and saying, Bitcoin mining is way more green than you think it is, and it's actually going to incentivize like completely renewable green energy. Really tall order for trying to get that narrative to stick, and I can't really, even though Nick Carter has been doing a valiant effort and like praise yeah. to Nick Carter, like Saint Nick yeah. Carter, it's not working. It's not working. Uh, and so Michael Saylor and Elon Musk are capitulating and say like, all right, we're going to have to take Bitcoin mining and act, act, not passively just say that the narrative is green, but like we're actually going to have to make this green. Okay, well, the Council of Bitcoin Miners is somewhat That's disturbing a, a maybe as well. Line. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Okay, here's another through line then. This is from uh, Mariano. So I think he's doing some satire here, but like mm -hmm. maybe coming to a future near you is sort of the angle. In quotes, after careful consideration, your address has been flagged as suspicious by the North American Bitcoin Miners Association. Unfortunately for you, our decision is final and cannot be appealed. Thank you for using Bitcoin trademark powered by Tesla registered trademark. <laughs> this is Mariano's take Clowning. on like a possible like future, mm -hmm, right? Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Like you may not disagree with this, but the fact that a uh, cabal is forming of, mm -hmm. of Bitcoin miners that mm -hmm. is like not a cabal, a council, Ryan, a council, a council, sir. Sorry. Um, where do cabals start? Do they start as councils? I, I don't know. know. It's Just a blurry line. <laughs> They, they they start. I mean, Star Wars has taught us. In the Star Wars, mm -hmm. isn't there like a council that sure evil? Yeah. Uh -huh. Okay. All right. Anyway, this is not an evil council, but Mariano is not sure where this is going, and it would be not a good thing if a set of miners could start censoring transactions or colluding in some way to make Bitcoin a whole lot less decentralized. Right. Is that a possible future here, mm -hmm. or is that kind of, I guess, overplaying it? Yeah, absolutely. This is exactly going back to the conversation of, of footprint is a liability, right? Because now my now miners are under the, the nation state purview because they are completely just like open and known to pu the public entities by the nature of proof of work. Like you ha kind of have to join this council and be a part of it, right? And all of a sudden that's a all these like decentralized miners are coming to become part of one single council. Like, where's the decentralization there? What, what, what that is just an attack vector. It's like, oh, the United States government like wants to interact more aggressively with the Bitcoin blockchain. It'll just go to the Bitcoin mining council and tell them to do exactly what they want them to and do. Look, man, the problem is because you can't run a miner in your house. Can't run a miner in your house. It's not profitable to do that. So, mm -hmm. like, like readers should know the same thing could happen with Ethereum. If we were only staking through crypto banks, mm -hmm. for instance, Coinbase and Kraken and Gemini mm -hmm. and, and uh, Binance, 
and there was no ability or appetite or interest in running uh, validating nodes like on a consumer laptop or maybe even the blockchain didn't have that capability be the same sort of yep. attack vector, yep. same sort of attack vector. That's mm -hmm. why decentralization of these networks is so important. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Anyways, good there joke, go. Mariana. There you go, Mariana. We made it not funny, but it was funny. All <laughs> no, right. It's, it's um, not funny. It, it's a funny joke. It's not funny though. Like it's an existential threat to our industry. Agreed. Yeah, mm -hmm. agreed. Um, all right. Let's talk regulatory, traditional finance. Businesses need to report crypto transfers. That's what the US Treasury is saying. Mm -hmm. If you are an exchange or some sort of crypto business uh, and there's a crypto transfer of more than 10K, you have to report that to the IRS. A lot of tax news in the headlines, it's tax season, but the IRS mm -hmm. is definitely trying to crack down on people who are not reporting their gains or their crypto transactions. I think that's partially where this is coming from. Uh, this does not extend to individuals right now, but it definitely does to businesses, right? This is like, like this always says, like, pay your taxes, guys. Mm -hmm. Like, it's all don't, in the blockchain. They're going to find out. Don't fight that don't fight. Don't screw with it. <laughs> don't fight that fight. <laughs> but um, yeah, I, maybe a mark of things to come. Mm -hmm. IRS getting more serious about crypto. Definitely getting exchange right. transactions into the mix. Right. The, the, I want to draw up this important point. It's just $10,000 in and out of reporting entities like businesses, right? So $10,000 to Coinbase, to Gemini, to Cash App, whatever. Those ent entities have to report that $10,000. Uh, you sending $10,000 to your buddy directly peer-to-peer, -peer, that's not what this is talking about. Um, however, there is, uh, there is something to say about this $10,000 level. I think this is also true for banks, right? So if you come and deposit $10,000 yeah. into banks, they, they do a report as well saying like, Hey, this person deposited $10,000. Wait, do you have a bank story this week? <laughs> no, no, you I tell don't. that story. No. Okay. never mind. Here, here's a story I do want to tell. And once again, it's another Nick Carter story. Um, the $10,000 limit was set in the 70s where the real value of $10,000 in like the 60s or 70s or whenever this law was created uh, was roughly $65,000 now, right? And so this is a story of inflation as a hidden oppressive force upon the people where uh, privacy used to be up to $65,000 in For real terms. Just the big transactions. Just the, the big transactions, $65,000. And like $65,000, not a lot of people send $65,000. E even even people that like are, you know, just, you know, the average citizen at some point will send a $10,000 yeah. transaction. Yeah, that's a car, man. You buy a yeah. car. Right, exactly. Yeah. Yeah. Oh yeah. I, I bought, I bought a car earlier and it was over $10,000. And so like that is now a reported transaction, right? Because I bought a car it wouldn't have been in the 60s or 70s because I wouldn't have been buying a $65,000 car. Uh, and so this is a hidden, hidden oppressive anti-secrecy force by the nature of inflation because the threshold for what is getting reported is nominally the same, $10,000, but meaningfully is getting lower and lower and lower. And again, we just printed like 29% of the outstanding US dollar supply in the last year. And so if inflation, inflation kicks up, up again, like all of a sudden it's gonna be like $500, not in real terms, $500 transfers, everything gets reported to like the all-seeing eye of Siron, which is the, the, you know, the nation state. Well well, let's see where this goes too, right? The Fed possibility of a central bank digital currency. I'm, I'm showing some like breaking news as of May 20th from CNBC. They've been talking about a central bank digital currency for a while, but like David, what's different here is like, this is coming directly from Jerome Powell. Like he issued a statement about this. So it seems like the U.S. is getting serious about it. Um, but even if you don't think the U.S. is getting serious about it, if you're like, yeah, sure, whatever. 
um, China is definitely serious about it. Mm -hmm. And like, I, I don't know, I, I feel like it comes down to this, David, Th there's only going to be two types of money in the world. Both are going to be digital. It's going to be central bank digital currency. It's going to be crypto. And one is going to be completely controlled, non-sovereign by the nation state. The other is going to be free and open. Mm -hmm. And like, those are the only two monies that we're going to have. Um, it feels like it's all inevitable. You have a different take? I think the whole possibility of issuing is like, oh yeah, okay. Like I'm going to continue to sit on my hands. We've been, we've we talked about this the last time we talked about CBDCs on the weekly rollup, which is like over a month ago. We haven't talked about it in a while, but like, again, like at some point, this is a meme, like point taken that Jerome Powell saying this, but again, possibility of issuing whatever. Okay. I just think China makes the U.S. react in some way. But there is a different take on this, which is the Brian Brooks uh, take. And he said this even Coinbase earlier this week. He's like, hey, the U.S. approach is not going to be to develop a central bank digital currency. It's going to be let the private market do it. Mm -hmm. right? Like his take is let USDC and consortiums and um, like crypto bank digital currencies thrive. And there shouldn't be a centralized um, like Federal Reserve back digital right. currency. Mm -hmm. So. We'll have to see how it plays out. It's almost like de facto kind of happening right. with some of these stable coins. Right. Preferable Sorry. too. Crypto dollars. Crypto dollars. Crypto dollars. Thank you. Mm -hmm. <laughs> All right. This is interesting. Uh, crypto fighting back. Um, banks Coinbase hires a former Goldman Sachs executive as chief policy officer. We've seen exchanges in crypto banks hiring people from Washington. Uh, now we're seeing them hire literal bankers to run mm -hmm. their policy offices. What is this, ha what's happening here? Old boss, same as the new boss, or new boss, same as the old boss, right? Like that. <laughs> that's why the Hayden Adams on the front of Wall Street Journal is so deadly because that's Way the better. new thing. That's what's Thank new. The, the crypto, Thank you. Crypto banks buying regulated, like bankers and regulating bankers, whoever regulates bankers, same thing. Same thing we've seen since the dawn of time, like buying your way into into just like a positive regulations that's beneficial for your industry. Like same, 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 like new banks, same as old banks. Cool. I, I, I don't trust it and I totally mm -hmm. don't trust it. Mm -hmm. um, yeah, that's definitely the take. I do think that crypto banks and exchanges are super useful now. They, they can serve as a bridge. Some, some will uh, benefit decentralization, but others will actively take it away and try to centralize mm -hmm. and will become a new boss if we don't fight back with this decentralized money system. Hayden Adams on the front page. Yeah. That's what we like to see. That's the new uh, stuff. Protocols, mm -hmm. not bankers. Software developers, right. not regulators. <laughs> cypherpunks not nation states let's drive some ultra let, let's do some drive-bys here paypal okay. is going to let people withdraw crypto that's a big step that's awesome hopefully we get robin hood on board next robin hood uh, let's get with it yeah they're not listening though they don't listen to bank lists they, don't, they definitely don't what's this one Apple looking for crypto experience in alternative payments job post. Apple Payments Unit looking for a crypto savvy biz dev specialist to lead partnership efforts. Uh, I, I know Apple is really doubling down on their Apple Pay ecosystem. Uh, and the problem with payments is a lack of settlement assurances. The reason why there's like two, like one to 3% on visas and MasterCards is because they don't have settlement assurances. And one of the reasons that, uh, one of the big um, benefits of Apple Pay and Google Pay is that uh, you have you have some sort of assurances that the actual payer is who they say they are because they own the device. Positive settlement assurances as a feature of crypto assets is really, really awesome and beneficial towards all payment providers everywhere. So Apple doesn't need to depend on Visa. They can use 
what like stable crypto dollars on Ethereum or on more likely on Ethereum L2. Um, that's that's my take. That maybe that's completely not what's happening here, but that is a logical conclusion of where this could go. They definitely will get here eventually. Um, a VC firm, one confirmation whom we've had on the podcast, great, mm-hmm. great folks, raised another 125 million for their third fund. They are now an $800 million asset manager. Super impressive. Best of luck to one confirmation. Uh, that's going straight into DeFi. I know mm-hmm. that's going mm-hmm. straight into crypto. Mm-hmm. I know that. And what's this next one, David? Goldman starts Coinbase coverage with buy rating, sees more than 30% gain. Uh, coin did not really do so well since it initially got listed. It's taken a beating. It's down in the 200 price range where it started, it opened up at like 350 or something. Um, but Goldman Sachs says coin is a buy, and I would agree. There you go. All right, guys, we're going to be back with some hot takes and, of course, the meme of the week. But before we do, we want to thank the sponsors that made this episode possible. Bankless is proud to be supported by Uniswap. Uniswap is a new paradigm in asset exchange infrastructure. Instead of a cumbersome order book system where trades are matched with other humans, Uniswap is an autonomous piece of software on Ethereum, which is what Ryan and I call a money robot. No human counterparties or centralized intermediaries, just autonomous code on Ethereum. Input the token you want to sell and receive the token you want to buy. Something brand new in the Uniswap ecosystem is the Uniswap Grants program is now accepting applications for grants. We have been saying this for a while and we'll say it again. DAOs have money and they are in need of labor. If you think that you have something to contribute to the Uniswap DAO, apply for a grant to Uniswap. Just look at the size of the Uniswap treasury. It's almost $3 billion. This mountain of capital is looking for labor. Do you have something of value to contribute to the Uniswap DAO? No matter how big or small your idea is, you can apply for a UniGrant at unigrants.org and help steer Uniswap in the direction that you think it should go. That's exactly what we did to get Uniswap to be a sponsor for Bankless, and you can do the same for your project. Thank you, Uniswap, for sponsoring Bankless. Gemini is the world's most trusted cryptocurrency exchange. I've been a customer of Gemini since I first got into crypto in 2017, and it's been my main exchange of choice to make my crypto buys and sells. Gemini is available in all 50 states and in over 50 countries worldwide. And on Gemini, there are markets for over 30 various different crypto assets, including many of the hot DeFi tokens. And it's one of the few exchanges that has liquid die markets. Gemini just launched their Earn program, where you can earn up to 7.4% interest on 26 various crypto assets. If you're tired of paying fees in DeFi, or you don't want to worry about DeFi exploits, but you still want to earn interest on your crypto assets, Gemini Earn is the product for you. Another product I'm stoked to get my hands on is the Gemini Crypto Back Credit Card, which gives you 3% cash back on all of your purchases, but paid to you in your preferred crypto asset. When I get my Gemini credit card, I'm going to make sure that I get my cash back in ETH. So whenever I buy something, I get a little bit of ETH bonus back to me at the same time. You can open up a free account in under three minutes at gemini.com slash go bankless. And if you trade more than $100 within the first 30 days after sign up, you'll be gifted a free $15 Bitcoin bonus. Check them out at gemini.com slash go bankless. All right, guys, we are back on the recap with the takes of the week. Let's start with our friend Chris Berninski. He says this, the more vested interest in existing systems a person has, the more likely they are to be, in quotes, skeptical of crypto. Keep this in mind as you read 
expert opinions. David, is Chris talking about bag bias here? That's what, that's, that's like the, mm-hmm. the colloquial crypto name for it, bag bias, right? Like you you only care about your bags and you only mm-hmm. talk about those. And it seems like he's saying that, hey, people in the traditional finance, they have bag bias towards traditional assets. What's your take? Right, yeah. So this is just cognitive dissonance, uh, classic. Uh, if you and your industry is about to be disrupted by crypto, you're going to hate it and you're going to shit talk it and you literally can't buy it. You can't buy the thing that's going to disrupt you because you can't legitimize it, right? So you have to talk poorly about it. And I see the same sort of effect when people miss out on Bitcoin, like going from like $100 to $60,000. And they say, it's a Ponzi scheme. It's like bad for the environment. I'm never going to buy Bitcoin because of these reasons. And, and like the real answer is like, you're just upset that you missed the run and you're refusing to buy into <laughs> it now. Like, and so now you're justifying why you're not buying it. Right. Uh, Chris is talking about something more like institutionalized, right? Like, so bankers, uh, you know, w- w- all the, all the industries that crypto is about to disrupt. You literally can't listen elite to those baby people. boomers. Elite, like many of elite them, boomers, right? right. Don't made all of their money mm-hmm. in the stock market, like right. Warren Buffett, Charlie Munger, those types. Mm-hmm. Well, you can't. Beyond you can't listen to the powers that be because literally crypto is about disrupting the powers that be with new institutions. So you can't okay, listen to the old that. institutions. Let me flip that on you though, okay? Because somebody from outside would say, "Yeah, shut up, David, because you're talking your bags too." Now, what you do every week on Bankless? Absolutely. Because it's it's a giant Ponzi. <laughs> it's a giant Ponzi game. You just want people to buy. Mm-hmm. They have a point there. Totally, totally. Bag bag bias through and through. You guys listen to Bankless. You're listening to two. No, literally, no one cannot talk their bags. But to some degree, like the reason why I'm invested in Ether is for reasons, and I think they are good reasons. And so, to some degree. There's at least one person or like one realm of thought that is the correct thought. And there are bags to go with that thesis. There is a correct thesis out there and there are assets that fall in line with that that thesis. And that's why Bankless is a thesis first media company. Protocol sync thesis, yeah. uh, you know, legitimacy, uh, money Legos. Why we have we theses. Not, like, we believe these things. Mm-hmm. Why would we not hold ETH? Right. Like we would be... We would be biased in the worst direction right. if every week we we're talking about Bitcoin and Ethereum and, and DeFi and we didn't have any skin in the game in these assets. Right. Like that's right. bag mm-hmm. bias working against you. I think what you want to have is long term bag bias here, not right. short term games, not pump right. and dump, mm-hmm. long term bag bias. That's mm-hmm. what's that's what's called for here. The other thing I'll say, David, is like people like one, one thing I say is, you know, um, first buy some Bitcoin and ETH spend the next six months figuring out why they're useful. And some people have said, well, like why buy first? Shouldn't you figure out why they're useful first? Like actually, no, buy a little bit first because once you actually purchase some, you become more interested in learning, right? Right. Like, so I'm not saying go all in right, right. away in these assets, but you have to have some skin in the game. You have to have the to, incentive like, to learn. Yourself. You have to have the incentive to learn. Mm-hmm. And uh, crypto economics, price number go up, number go down, provides great incentive to do that. Right. So you can also have bag bias work in your favor. If you want right. to learn about something, mm-hmm. right, and like spend the time, actually make it worth your while, mm-hmm. maybe go buy a little first. Yeah. And figure out why it's why it's going up, why it's going down. Like figure mm-hmm. that out. Yeah, totally. The The best way to get over your cognitive dissonance about crypto assets is just to like capitulate and buy some. Uh, I, I had a friend who was uh, giving me resistance as to getting into into Ether, like when Ether was pumping from $2,000 to $4,000. Uh, and so I, I sent him like 0.1 ETH and I'm like, okay, here here's a small little gift. 
you, you can have this ETH. And like loaded him up with MetaMask, like put ETH in his wallet. And all of a sudden, his resistance to buying more ETH just went out the window. <laughs> and so then he started dumping money into Ether. I'm like, okay, fine. Like that, that's a, that's a sa sacrifice. The point one ETH sacrifice to the gods. Yeah. Now, now we have converted an, an ETH person. It's just honestly, put money it's in. Not, it's not a bad plan, right? Like, so even use this for DeFi tokens, right? Mm -hmm. Okay. DeFi, DeFi uh, protocol you like, go mm -hmm. use it. See if it works. Mm -hmm. Oh, cool. It's useful. It works. Now maybe I'll buy a little bit mm -hmm. and then I'll learn about it. But like right. just a little bit, you right. don't go all in on something, right. but then that gives you an incentive to, mm -hmm. to learn more about the protocol. I think that can work in your favor. But uh, yeah, Chris is right on there. Don't believe the media that you hear. Yeah, so <laughs> the TLDR, all the expert institutional experts that I know don't listen to Bankless. Just just buy a little bit. Just buy a little bit. There you go. Mm -hmm. um, here's See another take. Like volatility. Volatility bad, volatility good. Here's uh, MIPO. Crypto might be volatile, but at least it doesn't need 120 billion injected into it every month just to function. Mm -hmm. Of course, the, the the Treasury, the Fed puts 120 billion these days into the U.S. dollar market, into the fiat, mm -hmm. into the banking system. Crypto to, doesn't to need that function anyway. Right? Mm -hmm. And the reason why crypto functions is because no one can do that, and that's why it works. That's also why it's volatile. It's also but, why it's fire salt. Yeah, right. feature, mm -hmm. feature, uh, not a bug. Except the volatility. Uh, oh, here's here, here here's an interesting take. So, okay, uh, this is from me, but like I saw this from a proposal. Somebody in the YFI mm -hmm. community basically put forward Bantag put a governance proposal forward in Wire and YFI, saying that hey guys, we should use our YFI treasury to buy some ETH because we want to own the land in which we operate. And I don't know if you read this proposal, David, but it's really great. Like goes through, uh, if you're a restaurant, right? You don't just want to own the restaurant necessarily. You also want to own the land mm -hmm. like around your restaurant, right? Right. That's like a develop, own the real estate, own foot, the property foot traffic well. surface area. Like first, like optimum real estate for where your restaurant is. It's the one thing to have good food, but you want to be where all the people are. Exactly. And so he's like, Hey, since we're here, we should actually invest in real estate too. And what is mm -hmm. that real estate for YFI? Well, they're on Ethereum. So mm -hmm. the real estate is ETH. Mm -hmm. So made the case for the uh, YFI community to go buy some ETH, put that in their treasury. And my take was on, on top of this is, oh my God, DeFi protocols are going to be the Michael Saylors of ETH, David. Mm -hmm. We're going to mm -hmm. like buy all of this real estate, mm -hmm. right? Successful DeFi protocol on Ethereum, then on Ethereum's rollup uh, infrastructure. They want to own some ETH in their treasury, mm -hmm. right? So this is almost like the reverse ICO. Remember the ICOs? Yeah. They would raise an ETH, and then mm -hmm. they like some, many of them would sell it. Mm -hmm. This is like these aren't ICOs; these are successful DeFi protocols. Now they're going back to ETH, and they're like, "Oh, we want a piece of this right. Ethereum economy. We want this real estate too, and we're going to pack our treasury with ETH." Mm -hmm. uh, kind of cool. Uh, I have. I, there are so many takes to to talk about. Uh, first off, here's some some uh, re recent crypto culture uh, that many people might not be familiar with. The whole "few understand" meme came from. Uh, I think it came from Pierre Richard when Pierre Richard, <laughs> who's a big Bitcoiner, was like, uh, uh, "Owning owning uh, BTC is owning a, a piece of internet real estate." Few understand. And people were making fun of him because like how ridiculous of a comparison is owning BTC to owning internet real estate. Because, you know, in, in Bitcoin maxi land, literally uh, Bitcoin is the internet, right? Is the currency of the internet. So if you own a Bitcoin, you own a piece of the internet. What Ethereum is, is literally the decentralized internet. BTC is an asset on a proof of work network. 
Ethereum is the internet tech stack in a decentralized fashion and is literally a piece of the internet. And so the whole, so many things that the Bitcoiners say about Bitcoin are actually true about Ethereum. It's crazy. But like I Ether th as an asset yes. is a piece of internet of equity in the Ethereum network, which is literally the reconstruction of a decentralized internet, literally real estate. Yeah, I, I, I feel like that's true. Like what Bitcoiners say about Ethereum is like, but it's also true of, of Bitcoin too. It's just like more true of mm. ethereum mm -hmm. i think somebody asked you recently david like um i i saw this uh, a tweet from you asked about like hey uh david um because we're gonna have somebody uh preston preston push um, yeah mm -hmm. preston push from the bitcoin community mm -hmm. we're gonna talk about bitcoin and ethereum and like uh differences and similarities between mm -hmm. the networks and somebody asked you like hey uh you, you've had your your bitcoiner hat on to you before you have right. a podcast POV crypto, where you regularly right. talk uh, to a Bitcoiner, you're sort of the Ethereum, mm -hmm. and he's kind of the, the Bitcoiner. It's like, mm -hmm. David, w what are your takeaways from that? And mm -hmm. you just said this. It was like one line, like, Bitcoin is dope. ETH is doper. <laughs> it's yeah, kind of the take. That's it. That's it. B Bitcoin's great. Ethereum's just really cool, and it's a little bit cooler. Like, that's fine. It's kind of how I feel, too. Okay, like take, take, takes on this take are not done, because I want to uh, <laughs> sh sh oh, yeah. show, show some uh, a piece of uh, David's uh, previous writing. And Ryan, do you have that, that pulled up next? Is that what um, I see? I can. Uh, Which tabs? one is it? Oh, the, uh, money, money, the game money, landscape? Game, money game land okay. landscape. Yeah, yeah, set this up for us. Yeah, okay. So I wrote this piece in, uh, in 2019. Uh, this is not too long after DeFi Pulse came out. Uh, and so I wrote this, uh, this piece called The Money Game Landscape and talking about how DeFi apps are all in heavy competition to put ETH on the balance sheet, balance sheet right? And uh, did, I, did I have, is there a screenshot of DeFi Pulse? Yeah, okay, so here's, here's OG DeFi Pulse. Um, and I use this as a, as a uh, metaphor of like, this is literally the leaderboard of Ethereum is like, you know, at the point in time, Maker had 1.9 million ETH in it. So Maker at the lead of 1.9 million points. And what is money other than a point system of who is owed what value, right? Money is money is a point system. And of the, all the DeFi apps on Ethereum are competing to put Ether on the balance sheet because Ether is the most credibly neutral points on the in the Ethereum world, and so we now see Yearn, which wasn't even an application when I wrote this piece, saying like, "Hey, we want we want some of that Ethereum real estate. Like, we're gonna put some ETH on the balance sheet." And I'm like, "Yes, this is the money game landscape. Every single application is in a competition to get high scores, and that high score is scored in Ether. It's scored in both uh, total locked value yes. of Ether, but mm -hmm. then also like purchasing it on their mm -hmm. on their balance sheet. So mm -hmm. like, yeah, both these places." Mm -hmm. um that article's held up by the way 2019 mm -hmm. david you're thinking ahead man mm -hmm. it's coming true uh, the, all right the other the other way that, that 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 held up is yield farming uh big game to collect tvl yes now we're seeing that game on layer two mm -hmm. i think pretty soon layer two summer layer two summer it's happening all right this is another take tyler reynolds eth is circled on the left non-cash flow alts circled on the right for people mm -hmm. who are listening on the podcast, you might need to describe this. What are we looking at, David? Yeah, this is a pretty classic chart in the crypto space. It looks like it's the classic, here's what a classic bubble looks like, right? And so we have like this stealth phase where, you know, things are, you know, only true believers are there, but then like things start to bubble up and then there's this awareness phase and there's a mania and a blow off top phase. And then there's the absolute crash. 
this is the 2017 bubble. This is the 2013 bubble. This is the tech.com bubble. Uh, and so uh, what, uh, what was circled on the left is Ether in its first sell-off slash bear trap phase. But then on the right is like, you know, the non-cash flow assets. I will also say these are like the doggy tokens, right? Doggy tokens are in their bull trap phase as in like there's like this, uh, you know, blow off top. Uh, small crash, a little bit of a recovery, but those things are those things are dying. Those things are not coming back. Non cash flow assets, think they're coming back. meme coins. Uh, I mean, I'm not 100% convicted in this, but I do believe that uh, there is a different. There's a massive discrepancy between tokens with real underlying value and real cash flows versus you know doggy tokens. Uh, doggy tokens could have just had their day and then they're never coming back. Ether is in a different phase of the cycle. And the reason why we say this is because there's a significantly different cohort of people that are putting money into crypto right now. Institutions and big money are not putting money into doggy tokens. They're putting money into BTC and ETH and DeFi assets. All of the, all the meme coins like, you know, Cardano's, like, you know, Denta coins, like whatever's, those things are not getting allocations right now. Not for, or, or ever. And so that's you know what, what, there's a completely massive fissure between the two cohorts of people that are buying these two classes of assets. This reminds me kind of of the uh, the super cycle asset, uh, the crypto super cycle thesis that mm. the three arrow guys were talking about, which is like, you might have bulls and bear markets for specific classes of assets, right? But crypto, their thesis anyway, or this idea is crypto is never going to globally go into a massive bear zone where you've got like 80 to 90% off all time highs. I don't know if I believe that, but it's it, it's kind of the idea, similar idea of what you're saying is like, yeah, some assets might be in uh, crypto assets where the general market calls all of these, like all of this crypto might never come back mm-hmm. after this most recent crash. While others, well, to other assets, it might be just a, a temporary dip and then a recovery. So on different timelines mm-hmm. is sort of the idea here. Totally. All right, let's go to the next one rethinking work is this a job description what is this job description yeah this is i think this is uh, originally pioneered by uh, amin soleimani who made a, a job posting of forever go for spank chain for a meme lord uh, and gitcoin uh, <laughs> is following in the suit meme artist slash shit poster plus community manager remote full-time job 80 to one hundred twenty thousand dollars, and the uh nat uh nat is retweeting this image and goes this is a six-figure meme making job at a legit company no matter how silly your kids interest seems don't ever tell them that they should give up give them up for a real job rethink what work is work is different now like memery and memes like cmos chief marketing officers are now chief memery officers right like get get your company with the times get yourself a meme lord on your company's marketing team and a community manager uh that's rethink the future of work is being done at home is being done from the comfort of your own computer and is being done with memes and, and community management and just engagement with your with the people that pay attention to your company this is just it. Memes are powerful, mm-hmm. right? So, like, I remember when the job description of like, um, I'm old enough to remember the social media manager came mm-hmm. in vogue, and people were like, right. "What? Paying to do right. Facebook and paying right. to tweet? Like, what is this? Mm-hmm. This is not a real job." Well, now memeing is a real job, apparently. <laughs> Fun fact: Episode number five of the Bankless Podcast is all about memes. One of the most underappreciated Bankless podcasts there is, I think. That is a fun fact. Mm-hmm. A lot of fun. All right, this is Udi, our friend. What's mm-hmm. he doing? He's tweeting about Ether Light. Mm-hmm. Is this New York Times billboard? New, New York Square, here? yeah, billboard. A billboard for EtherLight.org. Don't a go Times there. Square. Don't Sorry. go there. To, <laughs> because the, this is 
this is uh, the reason why we're talking about this is because this is a PSA of a, this is a warning. Uh, it's very scammy looking. Uh, it's advertising basically what is an ICO. This is like 2017 ICO nostalgia. If you want to go and look at, at what an old old like 2017 ICO kind of looks like, that's what this is. Uh, this is so, Udi calling them out, by the way, not advertising. Yes, I'm just yes, want to make clear. He's calling yes. them out like this is sketchy. This is sketchy as fuck. And, and they're advertising in Times Square, right? And so they're they're latching on to the tailwinds of Ethereum and they're using a lot of Ethereum words, right? So Etherlite's network uh, native token, ETL, is used to run the network starting with the adopted proof of stake consensus mechanism, whereby ETL is necessary for one to become a public validator node. In addition, ETL is used for network governance and payment of fees very much in the using similar terminology as ethereum proof of stake it's got ether light as the name it's got it's trying to get you to deposit your ether in order to get etl i'm willing to bet that it's actually an erc20 token on ethereum don't fall for scams like this scams like this are coming they target new people who don't know what they're tar uh, listening to they they think that they can get a thousand x gains this is what this is what an ico looked like in 2017 that was scammy and terrible so psa there are monsters out there and they're trying to gobble up your ether be wary of people that are trying to convince you to part with your ether and your other monies well said david be careful out there guys mm -hmm. uh, it's time for what we're excited about david let's start with you what are you excited about man what am I excited about? Uh, oh yeah, Uniswap. Uniswap V3. Uniswap V3 is sick <laughs> as fuck. Okay, so we have uh, Amin Soleimani who tweeted this week. We're not gonna we're not gonna um, pull up the pull up the tweet, but we're gonna talk about something else in a second. Where Amin Soleimani says, uh, "I Uniswap V3 is lit AF. Earned five thousand dollars on a three hundred and fifty thousand dollar concentrated position, a two hundred and fifty dollar range between ETH and USEC in sixteen hours. So he made five thousand dollars." off of $350,000 in 16 hours. Earned about the same on 10X the capital with ETH you would see on a wide 4K position over the same period. This is definitely the future. Robert Leshner is just talking also about how uh, Uniswap V3 is cool AF. I love Uniswap V3, he says. And here, here's what is really cool about Uniswap V3. Ryan, go to that liquidity page right next to it. This is, this is what so many people, uh, is it not letting you do that? There we go. There you go. This is, what, this is why so many people are uh, excited about Uniswap V3. Yeah, let's let's zoom in on that. This, this is the like a, this is the new order book. This is tower. the new order book. Yeah, like the CN Tower. Right. It's like mm -hmm. except just except, one pinnacle up. Instead of order books looking like a V, this looks like an upside down V. Uh, and you can see where people are placing their liquidity on at different price ranges. And so Ryan, if you press that plus sign, you, we can even like zoom in more and more and more. Uh, but this is the game that people are playing. So this is the new liquidity profile for ETH USDC in Uniswap V3 because each one of these, each people have different uh, ranges that they add liquidity to. Uh, this like this kind of chart where there are specific liquidity across different ranges, get used to that chart. That's the new future. This is a new paradigm, inverse order books uh, based on, on concentrated liquidity positions inside of AMMs. That is the future of liquidity. It worked. V3 just surpassed V2. Uniswap V3 surpassed V2 mm -hmm. this week uh, in, tr in terms of trading volume. Pretty impressive, man. And I keep, on, I keep on using Uniswap. I mean, I use Uniswap almost every single day. And more often than not, I'm continuing seeing more and more times where the better price is on Uniswap V3. People are figuring it out and they're figuring it out quick. Yeah, absolutely. Ryan, what are you excited about? You know what I'm going to say. Layer 2 Summer. Layer 2 That's Summer. That's what I'm excited about. 
I'm excited about summertime. I, you know, we, we said this a little bit in the last podcast, but I, I think it's absolutely true. Binance chain Polygon showed the appetite and is showing the appetite for EVM scalability, enterprise virtual machine scalability, DeFi scalability. Now we've got Arbitrum coming, Optimism coming in July. This is summertime. Mm-hmm. All of these side chains, roll-up chains, they're going to have liquidity incentive uh, programs. The, the major DeFi program, uh, protocols will have liquidity incentive programs on top of that. It feels very much to me like it could be a setup of the previous DeFi summer, where I remember that in May, uh, we talked with uh, Dan Elliser about this new thing. What was it? Compound governance token. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Oh, interesting. Liquidity what is that? yield farming. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And then explosion, mm-hmm. right? Um, there, There is a setup for layer two to absolutely explode. And I think it's because this time it's not like a hypothetical, how, sh- how should we scale Ethereum type of, of solution? Like, like, do you remember Plasma in 2017? It's always like, Plasma's coming, state channels are coming. This is how we'll scale Ethereum. No, nope. this time it's different. Mm-hmm. These rollups are launching mm-hmm. with partners, with DeFi protocols, mm-hmm. right? Like might take some time to get the kinks out, but I think some of these launches will happen this summer and it's setting up for a pretty exciting summer, like a tidal wave tsunami type of summer, layer two protocols, layer and, two solution. And importantly, uh, Optimism and Arbitrum, they have tokens. They are going to have tokens that control over the system. And, Everybody's going to have tokens. Everyone's yeah. going to have tokens. And this is real estate, right? This is really important, critical real estate that everyone's going to want a piece of. And it's important, both Optimism and Arbitrum are very, very true to the nature of an ethos of Ethereum and decentralization and crypto at large. And so they need to figure out a way to get these tokens that are in extremely high demand out and proliferated and have high entropy and get that the ownership of the asset also decentralized. You know that the way they do that, Ryan? Yield they farming. Distribute. Yield, Yield farm, farming. Exactly. They it, distribute it. So get like Bankless Nation, get your fucking farms ready because like it's coming. Well, here's coming. the thing. Yeah. Your farms will have farms this summer. <laughs> farms on farms on farms. <laughs> but here, here, here's the thing that also will happen. Okay, mm-hmm. guys, before you get too overhyped is um, if layer two summer happens, DeFi summer happens, it's going to like. Uh, shoot way higher than it should. Like valuations and token prices will probably overextend like things always do in crypto. And then maybe months later, I'm not sure, uh, Mm -hmm. there will be a crash. There will be a pullback as well, right? Mm -hmm. So like, again, you got to approach these things from a long-term perspective as well. Um, But I think it makes sense to get started, try these protocols out. This is the next frontier, Mm -hmm. right? So like we have... Bitcoin, first frontier. We have Ethereum, second frontier. We have DeFi, third frontier. Uh, next frontier, fourth frontier is layer two. Go explore. And DeFi on layer two, yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, DeFi on layer two. Go explore, mm-hmm. guys. Get, uh, that's the message. I'm excited about that. Get your farms ready. And and I think the alpha that I think is true is that it's going to be much better to farm these tokens than it is going to be to purchase these tokens. Yes. Farm yes. Them. Go farm them. Don't buy them. Farm them. Except for taxes. Except for taxes. Is that true? Yeah. Oh, yeah, yeah I guess so, because you tax on income, right. Mm-hmm. Anyways. Yeah, not fun. Anyway, all right, memes. Meme, meme time. of the week. David, which meme are we looking at? We are looking at a four-panel meme. We have an angry pigeon being offered <laughs> a cracker, 
and that pigeon is yelling at that cracker and that pigeon is BTC maxis, Bitcoin maxis, and that cracker is DeFi and the pigeon is yelling, get that thing out of my face. And then of course, because it's a pigeon, it eats the cracker. And so it noms on the cracker a little bit. And then it has this uh-oh moment, this awakening moment, these eyes go wide it's moment. Really and all of a sudden it falls in love with the cracker. Uh, and you would, you might think that this is a political meme as in we are, we are telling Bitcoin maxis that they need to love DeFi. It's kind of true, but they can still be Bitcoin maxis. <laughs> you can still be a Bitcoin maxi and use DeFi. And in that same vein that we were talking about cognitive dissonance, where like Bitcoin maxis want to shit on, on DeFi because it's a threat. They f feel it as a threat to Bitcoin. You don't have to, you don't have to feel that you can use DeFi. You're, I know that you're not the only asset that you own is Bitcoin. You also have cash in the bank. See what it's like to go lend out that cash and return an interest rate while also yield farming Matic tokens on Polygon or something, right? You can use DeFi and still be a Bitcoin maxi. It's not blasphemous. It's okay. Also, look, guys, Bitcoin is the original DeFi. Mm -hmm. I, like, I believe that. I see that all the time. Peer-to-peer, -peer, you know, uh, no intermediary, mm -hmm. transmission of value. Mm -hmm. That is DeFi. Right, but like, mm -hmm. don't just stop there. Right, go try out the full spectrum of DeFi, and I think what this meme is saying is like, you might fall in love with it. Mm -hmm. you might fall in love with DeFi. Mm -hmm. Plus, you, you can you can use some versions of I know it's compromised WBTC, like RenBTC, whatever. You don't have to use all of your Bitcoin bags, but you can still have Bitcoin denominated yield farming on DeFi. Go try it out. Bitcoin, Bitcoin could still be your store of value. Exactly. All right, David, that is the meme of the week. I think we are going to end with this. A moment of a zen. A moment of zen. <laughs> is that what we're calling this? That's what it is. <laughs> Guys, it's hilarious. Enjoy. We don't have any time room for disclaimers, huh? Uh do we care? I should rewind that. Okay. Um say say we're going to lead out with a moment of Zen, so stick around for after the disclaimer, but here's the disclaimer. Yeah. All right, guys, we are going to lead out with a moment of Zen clips. So stick around for that, especially if you're on YouTube. But first, disclaimers. None of this was financial advice. ETH is risky. Bitcoin is risky. DeFi is risky. You could lose what you put in, but we are headed west. This is the frontier. It's not for everyone, but we're glad you're with us on the bankless journey. Thanks a lot. And now, the moment of Zen. Guys, these scam coins are getting so out of hand. Someone just shilled me this today. 27 trillion in circulation, unlimited supply cap. There's only one node, so it's completely centralized. 25% of the supply has been minted in the past six months. And last but not least, the top 1% of holders own 30% of the supply. Nah, I'm just kidding. That's not a coin. That's the US dollar.